So, today we'll be looking into the Gospel of Mark, and the title of my sermon is Christ's Loving Call to Discipleship. True discipleship can be hard to grasp, but as Christians, we are followers of Jesus. But why? Have you ever wondered how he wants us to follow him? Or why do we even follow him in the first place? Is it really worth it? Our culture tells us that we should go our own way, that we should follow whoever and whatever benefits us the most. Ultimately, we're told to follow ourselves. And for me, I sometimes get caught in this tension of trying to follow Christ, but then failing and doing life my own way. For a lot of my life in grade school, I followed soccer more than I followed God. I devoted most of my time to playing, to practicing, to memorizing all the players, to learning the tactics, basically whatever I could do for the sport. But thankfully, God did something, and he showed me another way. And Mark 8, 27 to 38, has a lot to say about following Jesus and who he is and what we have to do. It tells us who Jesus is, what his mission was, and also what we have to do as his followers. And here are my three points that we'll see from the text today. Jesus is the Christ who's going to save them. Jesus was focused on God's mission and not man's. Jesus accomplished God's mission and calls his disciples to do the same. Mark's gospel has 16 chapters, and we're starting today at chapter 8, so that's about halfway through. And Peter's proclamation here in verse 27 is really kind of like a mini-climax to the first eight chapters, a mini-climax to the gospel. So I think it'll be helpful for us to really understand the significance of that statement of, you are the Christ, and the context that comes around it since it is from one of the twelve. One of the main themes in Mark so far is, who is Jesus? Mark in chapter 4 tells us that the disciples themselves even ask this question, who then is this that the wind and the seas obey him? And later at the end of chapter 6, the disciples' hearts are hardened, and they, they can't understand and truly receive the teachings of Jesus. And then Jesus does some great things, and including something as feeding the 4,000. Then if you could turn to chapter 8, from verses 14 to 21, this is just before our passage here, Jesus is telling the disciples to beware of the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. But the disciples are they're forgetting that they, they forgot to bring their bread. And they're arguing, they're like, what, we don't have bread. And then, and then Jesus calls them out to them in verse 17 and says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? And remember, he's already done the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And Jesus continues, do you not perceive or understand are your hearts hardened? Having eyes and ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the last time that we see the disciples before our passage today. And there's something that they just haven't been getting, something that they don't understand. So, now in our passage, on the way to the villages of Caesarea and Philippi, 
Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? Jesus asks about other people first here, but this isn't really the question that he wants to ask. At this time, he's more concerned about what the disciples think, about who they say that he is. So after the disciples give him that answer, he asks, who do you say that I am? And this is what he's been hoping for them to understand. He wants them to know who he is. And this is what he's talking about earlier in the chapter when he says, do you not yet understand? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Finally, Peter realizes that Jesus is the one who is going to save the Jewish people. And that is the first point that we can see from verses 29 to 31, that Jesus is the Christ who is going to save them. But do the disciples really understand who he is? Or understand what it is that he's going to save them from? Peter realizes who Jesus is, but if we keep reading, he goes from calling him the Christ to them being called Satan by Jesus. How does Peter go from such a great moment to such an awful one in a matter of lines, as Mark tells us? That's because though Peter knows who Jesus is, he doesn't get what his mission is. He doesn't know why he's here and what he's going to save them from. See, for the Jewish people in Jesus' time, they were greatly oppressed by Rome. And before that, Syria, Egypt, Greece, and Persia. And after hundreds of years of being physically oppressed, the Jewish people were expecting the Messiah to come back and defeat their physical oppressors and give them back their freedom. This is the kind of mission that Peter and the disciples likely would have had in mind when they thought of the Christ's mission. But what was Jesus' mission? It says in verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, being Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. Jesus starts to teach them here. He's teaching them what it is the Son of Man, his mission, actually is what he is here to do, that his mission is to come, to suffer, to die, and to rise. And also, don't miss the word must here. This had to happen. There was no other way. The Son of Man must do these things. But why? I mean, the Christ and the Savior had to come and suffer and die. Why would his mission to, be go, to go through all of that? I mean, he, he's God. Why did he have to go through all of the suffering, the constant rejection, the physical torture, the shame and death, and the most excruciating suffering that any individual has ever had to go through? He had to do it because he loves you. You see, God's mission was to provide a way that we could be close to him again to provide a way so that we could be saved from our biggest oppressor of all, our own sin. Jesus saved us from our sin, and that was the plan all along. He came, he died, and he rose again so that we could be close to him, and because of that, we can be saved from our sin. This is the greatest act of love that has ever been, and it's the greatest act of love that ever will be. And here is the second point from verses 31 to 33. Jesus was focused on God's mission, not on man's. See, 
Peter didn't understand the teaching. He didn't understand what God's mission was for the Son of Man. He was still of the mindset that Jesus was going to come and take over Rome and have earthly kingdom and an earthly glory. When he hears that Jesus is going to suffer and die, he says, he probably says something like, Jesus, that's not, that's not it. You're the Christ. Like, you've got it wrong. That's not the plan for you. And Jesus looks back at his disciples, probably because they all share the same view. And he says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Why does Jesus call Peter Satan here? And I think we see a little bit of the human side of Jesus. Suffering and dying isn't exactly a walk in the park, even for him. And we can look to his prayer in Mark 14, 36, when he asks his father to take this cup away from him, yet he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus here was probably tempted not to fulfill his mission. In Matthew 4, 8 to 10, we see that he's tempted in a similar way by Satan to have all the kingdoms in the world. It reads, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. See, Peter's plan is for Jesus to take over Rome and to give them back their freedom, to have an earthly kingdom and earthly power, earthly glory. But Jesus has something different in mind. He is focused on God's mission and God's plan. So Peter in his rebuke is saying that his plan is better than God's. But his plan has the same effect as Satan's, tempting Jesus to have earthly glory and an earthly kingdom. Peter's mind here is set on the ways of Satan and of man, not on the ways of God. And Jesus calls over the crowd and says to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. And here's the third point from 34 to 38. Jesus accomplished God's mission and calls his disciples to do the same. But before we look into exactly what the call is, I just want to let you know, stick with me. I promise you that this is a loving call to discipleship, so please stick with me to the end. So this first part, if any of you have another translation like the NIV, it might not be translated as if anyone will come after me. It could be translated in NIV as whoever wants to be my disciple or whoever wants to follow after me. So the main idea here is that of discipleship. If anyone wants to be a disciple of Jesus, they must do this. First, Jesus' disciples have to deny themselves, to deny their own desires and put Christ first. In my relationship with Leanne, I have desires for her. I have desires for me. I have desires for us. But I've got to realize that God desire, God's desires come first. We can't let our own desires take over. And he knows what we need better than what we do. And we can even see this in the text with Jesus and Peter. Peter thinks that what he needs from the Messiah is saving from his physical oppressors, from the Romans. But Jesus... He knows what Peter needs. Peter needs saving from his sin. 
And that's what he came to do. Jesus knows Peter's needs better than he did, and he knows our needs better than we do. And this denial of ourselves is a fully committed denial of our own right to do what we desire. It's denying yourself in the same way that Jesus did. He could have saved himself on the cross, but he didn't, and he died. And I know we can't be exactly like Jesus. We can't be perfect. But we have to strive to be like him, and we have to strive to pick up our cross and deny ourselves every single day. Because that's what Jesus commands us to do. And it's what we have to do to follow him. And it is truly the best thing for us. David Platt says that if he could give advice to himself when he was 20 years old, one of the things he would say is to surrender. He says, Lay your life before the Lord every day. Deny yourself. Cry out, Lord, save me from myself. Save me from my dreams and my plans. Make me want to do whatever you want me to do. Help me to want to go wherever you want me to go. Brothers and sisters, do we have this kind of desire to follow God's will and not our own? The desire to deny ourselves and put Christ's desires first. Second, we have to pick up our crosses. Let me start here by saying that this doesn't mean that every follower of Christ has to literally go to the cross and die. Luke 9.23 says, pick up your cross daily. So the dying here isn't necessarily a literal death. But what does it mean? What does picking up your cross really mean then? Well, in Jesus' time, the cross was the worst way to die. It was for the worst of criminals, and it was painful, humiliating, shameful, and a death full of immense suffering. And Jesus is saying that to be his disciple, you have to be willing to go through that suffering and you have to be willing to die physically, emotionally, and mentally every single day. But the kind of cross that everybody's going to take up won't always be the same. Everybody has to suffer differently. We are called to different suffering. But whatever our cross is, we have to take it and we have to go all the way. And this isn't easy Denying yourself and surrendering all that you have and your own desires and being willing to suffer and die, that's hard. And some of you are probably even wondering why I bothered titling my sermon Christ's Loving Call to Discipleship. I mean, this doesn't necessarily sound very loving. But Paul explains that it's not all about what we do. And when we pick up our crosses, we are crucified with Christ, and he is in us to help us through it. We can follow Christ's call to discipleship through Christ as he lives in us. In Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Daniel will be able to tell us more about this in a couple of weeks when he preaches again. But trust me when I tell you that this is indeed a loving call and that it's all worth it. It's worth it because when you follow Jesus, you get life. And this is what he goes on to say next. Jesus says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. He's saying that if anyone chooses not to deny themselves and keep their life, then they will lose their soul, 
But if you deny yourselves for Jesus and for his gospel, then your soul will be saved. And because of this, we can live in hope. For this eternal life is far greater than the suffering of this world. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 to 17, 4, 17 to 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This earthly suffering is only temporary, and Paul sees it as a light momentary affliction. For someone who went through so much suffering, more than we probably ever will, he views it as light momentary affliction in comparison of what is to come. This eternal glory and eternal life with Christ is so much more valuable than anything that this world can offer. And this life for all of eternity is with Christ. If anyone is to come after him, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me, follow Jesus. You get to have Christ in you. You can follow God, follow the one, and be in relationship with the one who loved you so much that he came, suffered, died, and rose again. And because of that, we can be saved from our sins. You see, this call to discipleship is a call to respond to Christ's love shown to us on the cross. And because he accomplished his mission on the cross, we can follow his call, and we can follow him in his suffering, and we can definitely follow him into life. But notice here that you either follow Jesus or you don't. There's no third option. Jesus says that if you save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake in the Gospels, then you save it. This is an either-or option. There's no, there's no part where I can keep some of my life and give some of it to Jesus. If you are trying to have control over even just one part of your life, you're not following him. Then he essentially asks, two rhetorical questions. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And the answers here are simple. There is no profit in gaining the world and forfeiting your soul, and there is nothing that can be given in return for it. There is no earthly thing that is more valuable than life and the soul. And then we get the consequence for not following him. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you are ashamed of Jesus, then when he comes back at the end of time, he will be ashamed of you. And again, there's only two options here. You follow wholeheartedly or don't follow. You can have life or you can have death. So before we apply this to our own lives today, I want to repeat the three points again. 
Number one, Jesus is the Christ who is going to save them. Number two, Jesus came for God's mission, not man's. And number three, Jesus accomplished God's mission and calls his disciples to do the same. And here are three questions that we can get from the text. Do you know who Jesus is? A big question in Mark's gospel up to this point is, who is Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you don't know who he is. And if that's the case, you must wrestle with this question that Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? I want to tell you that Jesus is the Son of Man. He came and he died and rose again for you because he loved you and you can be forgiven from your sins. This is the greatest act of love ever for you and it's the greatest act of love ever. If you want to know more about him, please talk with myself, one of the elders here at the church, or even the person sitting next to you. A lot of us here, though, would say that we know who Jesus is. If we were asked that question, who, who do you say that I am, we would say, you are the Christ, or you are God, or you are my Savior, which would all be right. But regardless of whatever your answer is, know that there are implications for what you say. If you don't know Jesus, it says that if you are ashamed of him and his words, then he'll be ashamed of you when he comes back. If you call him the Christ, then you must follow his call, his call to discipleship. And here's the second question. Do you see how valuable Jesus is? And amongst the idols and the lies of this world, it's easy to forget, to forget why we follow Jesus and how valuable he is. It can be incredibly easy for us just to miss the point entirely, just like Peter did. He and the other disciples knew who Jesus was, and they missed the point and didn't understand what he was going to save them from. And when they heard he was going to be rejected and die, they, they said, no, Jesus, you've got it wrong. That's not the plan for the Messiah. They missed that he was going to rise again. But don't we forget too? Do we look at the call to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, Jesus. That's not what I want. That's not the call for my life. I'm not meant to suffer. That's not me. You've got it wrong. And completely forget about what we have in Christ and who he is. To follow him is to have life. Life in relationship with the creator of the universe for all of eternity. And we follow him because of who he is, because he loves us, because he wants us to be with him enough to die for us. And if you were with us at our church retreat last weekend, this is kind of like what Andy was talking about. We can be content because everything we need is in Christ. The things of this world don't matter. The secret to Christian contentment is in Philippians 4.13, that I can be content in all things because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this certainly includes being content through the suffering on the cross. The suffering, after all, is just a light momentary affliction in comparison to what we have in eternal life with God. The call to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus is tough, but it's the best possible way to live your life.
And we can be assured in this call to discipleship because Jesus went before us and already did everything. Jesus himself is the perfect example of true discipleship. And he invites us to come after him and with him, not before him and without him. He is the only one who fully denied himself, picked up his cross, and followed God. And praise him because he was perfect and gave up his life so that we could be saved from our sins and that we could be forgiven. And because of this, we we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to live perfect lives. Because of Christ, we can have grace over and over and over again. So are you willing to follow him? Jesus lovely calls us, lovingly calls us to discipleship. It is loving, but that doesn't mean it's easy. But do you trust Jesus enough to follow that call? Do you trust that he is all you'll ever need? Sometimes it's life, in life it's like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but there's just this one thing I want control over that I know is really important. I just want this job or this relationship, or that car, or that house, that drink. But that's not how Jesus wants us to follow him. That would be setting our minds on the things of man, not on the things of God. For Jesus himself says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And that's tough. To deny yourself completely and surrender your life and being willing to walk in suffering to the point of death. It's hard, but it's what we have to do. We need to be following Christ on his terms and not our own. But don't forget that Jesus went through life with the most suffering before us. Don't forget that he defeated death that he came and conquered, that he is risen, and that our sins are forgiven, and that he won the battle. And everything that we'll ever need in eternal life is in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be here and worship you and to read into your word, God. I just ask that you would be speaking into our hearts for those who need convicting, that you would convict. For those who need encouragement, that you would encourage. And God, would you help us not to forget, not to forget who you are, how valuable you are. Because God, everything in this world is light, momentary affliction. The suffering is nothing in comparison to what we have in you. And God, just help us to remember and help to teach us who you are. In Christ's name, amen.